Well, good morning. Uh, today we're going to take a little bit of a look at the parable of the sower. Uh, it's one of Jesus's many farming analogies that he uses throughout the Gospels. Jesus himself, he was from Galilee, which is in northern Israel. It's always been kind of the breadbasket of Israel. It rains a lot more there than it does in Jerusalem, uh, so there's a lot more agriculture and it's a little higher elevation. Jesus is always explaining the gospel in these analogies that he remembers from his youth. I'm sure a lot of people in the crowd were familiar with them as well. But that's what we have today. Uh, a parable about how the gospel is like farming, ancient farming. And it's the old method of sowing, so it's kind of like what you see in Van Gogh's painting The Sower, uh, minus the French countryside. But it's not, that, it's not that bad of an image. You have the farmer there with his satchel and kind of a leather satchel and he's got the seeds in it and he walks up and down the field and he reaches into his satchel and he throws out the seeds and he kind of scatters them and a good farmer back then would have had a good technique there would have been a rhythm to it pacing with the steps to try to spread out the seeds right uh, but nonetheless uh, it was an imperfect imperfect art you know you throw that seed out it could blow away uh, it could get eaten by birds, it could get scorched in the sun. There was always an understanding when you did it that a percentage of the seeds wouldn't make it, that only some would take, and that that was just how it works. And so this is the image of the kingdom of God that Jesus is using today, this image of a sower, how the spread of the gospel is like this, a man out there sowing seeds, and some make it and some don't. He says there's basically four things that happen to seeds after you sow them. One, some fall on the path and the birds eat them. Now this, Jesus says, are those who hear the gospel but don't understand it, so it just kind of bounces off them. It doesn't take. Uh, two, seeds fall on rocky ground. They grow quick, but they burn out because they have a weak root system because there's not a lot of soil. And this, he says, are the people who hear the gospel and then get all excited about it, but they run away as soon as the going gets tough. You know, it's always fun in games until it involves personal sacrifice. It kind of reminded of the story Jesus has where the rich man comes up to him. And he says, teacher, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus looks at the guy and says, well, why don't you sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then come follow me? And it says the guy got really sad and walked away. You know, he wanted the kingdom of heaven. He just didn't want a sacrifice that came with it. Three, the seeds fall in thorns. Jesus says these are the ones who hear the gospel, but they get lured away by the cares of the world and the lure of wealth. They're too busy pursuing fame, success, money, possessions, to focus on the spiritual things, the things of the gospel. And it's not like they're against the gospel. It's just that the gospel falls really low on the priority list. So something comes up, they go do something else, they go follow something else. You know, something's more interesting. And after a while, you know, you kind of made a habit of going somewhere else. So you just kind of disappear. And there's a, it's the fourth group that Jesus says. Here's the word, understands it, 
bears fruit yields hundred, sixty, and thirtyfold. That's a lot. That, that's a lot of fruit. So all the return comes from a very small number of seeds. This is kind of like our own saguaros that you can see all around us. I can see them looking out the church window right now. You know, what do they say? A saguaro pod has 10,000 seeds and, you know, one or two of them might get planted. They might succeed. You know, Jesus doesn't give us percentages on how many people fall into each category. He doesn't break it down that way. We know from his own ministry that he rarely got more than one or two percent of the people who heard him to respond in a favorable way. Uh, we know that even of his 12 disciples, by the end of them, one of them betrayed him, 10 of them bolted, one was left, and he had maybe two, three people with him at the cross, one of them was his mom. That's not a winning percentage. It's hard to think that even Jesus himself couldn't really change more than a handful of minds after three years of preaching and teaching. And he even had the ability to do miraculous cures. So people could see and experience a miracle cure for disease and still at the end of the day, he's got a handful left. That's not a winning percentage. You know, and it's humbling. Because we think, you know, we think that the gospel is so wonderful that everybody should just believe. And why doesn't everybody get all excited about it? We want a better return on our investment than going out and serving thousands and thousands and teaching thousands and thousands and making years of sacrifice to get four or five people. But that's how Jesus says the gospel works. It's just like that guy throwing seeds out, thousands and thousands, and only a few will take really well, but most die. It's the difference between the way they farm then and kind of the way we farm now. You know, what we do today is mechanical planting. We don't do it by hand. There's a big machine, a big machine, and it, it, it you know, you have a trailer, and it's usually, you have a tractor, and it's on a trailer, a uh, former member here from Nebraska told me that they've got these trailers, these planters now, 40 rows wide. 40 rows. 40 rows of corn or wheat wide. And the, the thing goes along and it's mechanical and it, but the seeds go into a little thing like a needle and it injects them to the exact right length. It, it turns the ground just to the right depth and it injects it at just the right depth. And it does that 40 rows wide. And mechanical planting, mechanical planting, it's kind of a hard science. You know, you control all the variables that go into how the plants grow. You know, instead of casting all over, you just go straight to the good soil. And if it isn't that good, you fertilize it. If it's got bugs, then you put on a, a pesticide. If there's not enough water, you irrigate it. The whole point of mechanical farming is to try to get as much control over the process so that you can get the maximum return. So that as few of those seeds end up dying or shriveling or, di or disappearing. You want to get your maximum yield. So you're trying not to take the chances on that. Now, 
I'm not saying that way is inherently bad. This is not a sermon about farm policy or, or farm methods. What I am saying is that what Jesus is talking about is the opposite of modern farming. What he's talking about is like the ancient way. Because in sowing seeds the old way, you don't have much control over the outcome. You know, you can't control the birds, or the bugs, or the rocks, or the heat. All you can control is yourself. You can control how you sow, where you sow, but once the seed leaves your hand, there isn't a whole lot you can do to it. It should tell us something, that that's how Jesus sees the spread of the gospel through faith and hope and sowing rather than through control. That it's not about making people believe by controlling the entire world so that they have no choice but to believe, which is what they did in the medieval church, right? They tried to turn the entire world, entire Western world, into a Christian world. So every school, Every government agency, every piece of culture, every transition of your life, there was the church. The Christian faith was really the only game in town. And as a result, uh, there were some people who were Christian because they knew nothing else. It was kind of by default. It's just how they grew up. And they didn't bother thinking or trying to change it. There were some who played along with it out of fear. I'm sure there were those who had their doubts, but kind of said, well, eh, I don't want to get in trouble. There were some who resisted and got killed, but there were not a whole lot. And back then, there were not a whole lot who had seen sort of all the different options in life, all the different religions, or following none, and chose to follow Jesus because Jesus was the one they wanted. That's how sowing the gospel is different than forcibly trying to make it happen. The medieval way, the controlling way, will produce a higher number of people who will say the words, I am a Christian. But the second way, the way of Jesus, the way of sowing, produces a smaller number of Christians, but these are people who are voluntarily dedicated. And in the long run, they'll bear more fruit. Right now, we're kind of in the middle of a shift in America. A generational shift, a big cultural shift, where we're going from a world that more, where more or less everybody was, at least in name, they call themselves Christians, and most people had some church connection, and your kids went to school, and most of your teachers were Christian, or at least they wouldn't blatantly badmouth it or tell you that church is bad and you shouldn't do it. Uh, and you know, you could be pretty confident that if you sent your kids off to school, they'd, they'd come back learning more or less the beliefs you wanted. Nowadays, it's just a smorgasbord out there. It's a, it's a gigantic buffet. And the kids look out there and they got every option and the one that's pulling the hardest is the one that says none. None. Don't follow any religion. Just go your own way. So we can't assume, those of us in the church, we can't assume anymore that our world and our culture are going to support the gospel. We're really better off assuming the opposite. And so now when you want to go out and proclaim the gospel, you're not doing it in any sort of orderly fashion. You're, you're sowing seeds 
all over the place, hoping that one among many, in a world full of thorns and rocks, will take. And it's humbling to think that you have to go out hundreds and hundreds of times and sow thousands and thousands of seeds for four or five to take root. And it's a struggle we have at churches. It's the struggle, you know, you have as a parent these days. How do I implant in my kids values, faith, morals, when the voices they're hearing in the culture are telling something very different? You know, it's about sowing. How do you plant faith and values in your kids? You know, you're not talking about thousands of people. You're talking about one, two, three, or in my case, five. You want to teach them, you know? You want to teach them wise choices about life. You want to teach them wise choices about sexuality instead of kind of the free-for-all that's out there. You want to teach them nonviolence instead of violence. You want to teach them to be compassionate for the poor and the vulnerable instead of just all about getting wealth and power and I got mine, screw you. But what do you do? As a parent, it can be scary because so much of this is out of your control. You know, and you can get yourself caught up in this internal debate. Have I done too much? Have I, have I done too little? Have I exposed them to too many things? Have I not exposed them enough so they don't know how to deal with it? And you can get this guilt where you're second-guessing yourself on your decisions because you're trying to plant seeds in your kids and the lures of cares and the lures of the world are thousands of times louder. And it's easy to get afraid and start responding to that with fear and trying to assuage your fear with ever more and more control. Again, control isn't bad. The question is how much? Limits are necessary, supervision is necessary, but when your kids go from sowing, when does it go from sowing healthy seeds in your kids to trying to turn all of childhood into a mechanical operation? You know, where every second of the day is plotted and programmed down, just right down to the minute, to maximize, the, the, the to maximize every variable to produce the best possible application resume to get into that best possible school. So you control their whole lives, so that way if everything is perfectly controlled, then you're not running the risk that they will be lured away by the world and not be able to say no. When do we go from sowing good seeds and letting them grow in their kids as they will, and when do we try to turn parenting into a mechanical operation? Because we all know that one day our kids will leave our control and they will be in the big bad world. Uh, truth is, they've probably already experienced more of the big bad world through their computers and cell phones than a lot of us ever did in our childhoods. And you're going to go back and ask yourself, did I sow the right seeds? Did I make the family good soil for faith? Or was I so concerned about making sure they got the best of everything that I inadvertently stuffed their bedrooms with the cares and lures of the world? Did I teach what I said? Or did I say one thing with my pocketbook 
and my lifestyle and another with my mouth? You know, I don't have a quick, easy answer to any of these questions. I'm a dad, I wrestle with it. I'm just a preacher, a father, a husband. Nothing is more important to me than Jesus Christ and my family and the church. And I struggle with these things and I try to do the best I can. Uh, I try to sow the gospel and live it. And I try not to second guess myself because I know that I'll never win that one. There will always be something I could have done more or maybe some place I should have done less. So I do what I can to be a good sower, to be casting seeds over and over, hoping and praying that they'll stick. If it's any consolation, Jesus himself had an abysmal success rate, at least initially. Uh, but he had patience. And he stuck with it. And, and he stuck with the people, even when they sometimes hated him or abandoned him. And it was the fact that he lived his faith so genuinely, and he never stopped proclaiming it, that seemed to make the difference. And, and that's what it's like to be a sower. You work and work, you give and give, and you don't know which seeds will grow and how they'll grow and how many. But we keep casting because they know that God will raise up some of those seeds and they will bear great fruit. All in God's time, of course, and all in God's way. Amen.